guys, welcome back to uh, another free game productions. Um, today we got Sergio Rojas, a live uh, consulting and coaching. Um, actually, really, really excited. I'm excited about all my podcasts, but really excited about this one. Danielle wishes she was down here. Uh, so I met Sergio at Mike Burks, who is the sound healer. He's been on before. Um, and Sergio was talking about some really interesting things which we'll get into it later on. Um, but just kind of to get started, and you're going to hear a lot about this, what what got you into this journey, the fitness and health and, and all of this, especially working in media, and which seems kind of separated before? Yeah. Um, so I think fitness is it was a part of my life as a child because I, I liked sports and worked out started when I was 13 or 14 years old but as I became a teenager and in my early 20s I kind of fell off of that and got pretty heavily into partying um, I knew I couldn't afford college so I was working two or three jobs and going to college part-time and I hit about 23 24 years old and I hadn't gotten that far in college and I wasn't getting anywhere um, I was doing some artwork for musicians managing a band bartending waiting tables and I just felt depressed. I felt lost and depressed. And I had never felt that before. And, it, and I had some anger issues. Um, I put my hand through a big store window when I was 20. So I just knew what, that. Uh, was what caused that? Just an argument with a friend in a restaurant. And I walked out of the restaurant and we walked by and there was a store and I just decided to punch it, you know? So um, those guys that, <laughs> that haven't met him, Sergio has like a really calm energy. That's why I'm kind of, I'm intrigued by that. Yeah. And, um, and it led to all that, right? So kind of those things culminated. And what I started thinking was, I'm like, you know what, a motorcycle. Because I just, I think a lot of my anger was from the, the, the financial struggles that my parents had had. And I've been working since I was nine years old without not having any breaks without a job. I've always worked since I was like nine, ten years old. And I wanted to buy a motorcycle. I'm like, I can't afford one, so I'm going to get one. And I realized if I stop partying, stop buying drugs and alcohol, I'll have enough money in a few months. And there was a fitness challenge at this gym that I kept walking by. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to join this gym and I'm going to do the fitness challenge. And I did it's a four-month challenge. I got in decent shape, nothing phenomenal. But um, I was hoping to win a 1000 bucks more than anything but because I needed money. Um, but I didn't even come close. And but at least I had enough money to buy my motorcycle. And I bought it. And I was riding on Lakeshore Drive at 2 in the morning because I knew there's no traffic. And as I'm riding, I'm like, see, this is what I need in life. I, this is joy. This is going to get rid of all my stress. And as soon as I had that thought, you have that next whisper that's a little louder, a little smarter, a little deeper that said, it's not the motorcycle. It's the lifestyle you've been living. So that right there, like, ah, okay. It's okay to party and do your things once in a while, especially in your 20s. Um, but I was just not living a healthy lifestyle. And as I looked around, I saw so many people not only unhealthy physically, but emotionally and unhappy. And I've just had this divine intuitive wisdom in me that just says, you know, we're not designed to be this miserable, this unhappy and unhealthy. And it's just God's voice saying, you know what, go follow this path for a while, see what happens. And I signed up to become a personal trainer, nutritionist, and I always brought some level of spirituality to it because while I was going to college, um, I was studying psychology, theology, and fine arts. I wanted to be a spiritual art therapist. Which is incredible. <laughs> that's such a cool combo. Um, theology and psychology are two of my favorite topics. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's always been one of mine. And I remember as a little kid going to church, and we were raised Catholic, and I'm like, I love the pictures of the angels. I love the, the spirit vibration of the, of the singers. But when I hear the message, it feels draconian. It feels like misleading. Something's not right. And that's what kind of got me deep into theology. And 
as I started this whole path on personal training and things like that, I started meditating. I started taking Tai Chi and Qigong. Um, and all these things started happening. I got invited to India to meet the Dalai Lama. So we go to his home a oh, couple times. Yeah, I've been a couple times to his house. Um, I actually took my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. We'd been dating for three years. I took her to that trip and to propose to her. And she had no idea. We never talked marriage, never talked anything. But I'm like, I'm going to, this was a keeper. I've been for three years. She's never bugged me about marriage. And she's just yeah, a, yeah. an amazing, kind soul, just a, a, an amazing human being. And I was so blessed. And uh, I took her to India and I was going to propose to her, but she had such culture shock. So we waited, I waited till we got to London on the way back and proposed to her there. But yeah, I was blessed to meet the Dalai Lama a few times at his house in India. And, uh, you know, so just this whole thing, I'm like, I want people to be healthier and happier. And even as I got into the fitness world, I saw that people were just approaching it the wrong way, or at least in a way that I felt was not going to be a long-term and sustainable ways of finding joy and peace and happiness. People were talking about vanity and body fat and, and bodybuilding, which I think are good short-term endeavors if you have a deep underlying purpose for why you want to go there. And it's not, you know, we're all going to find it at different times, but I just wanted to be a, a resource of, of light and love for people, man, and just help people become healthier and happier. Because I saw my dad as he started struggling financially. You know, he came to America very, very poverty-stricken from South America, from Colombia, both my parents. Um, my dad never finished high school. And was a busboy and a waiter and tried to start businesses, got taken advantage of by partners. And I saw him sink into a depression that ate at me. And I think that's where a lot of it stemmed from. And I'm like, man, he's a good soul. My dad's a good man. I mean, he's like, what an amazing human being. And my parents are both phenomenal. I'm like, he deserves to be happier and stuff. And that's just part of what it all came out to be. I'm like, I want people to be healthier and happier, man. And that's, that, that's incredible. That, um, like how that came about. So I'm assuming Colombian. You grew up Catholic or yeah, Christian. Yeah. Um, in India, so did so in theology. Like, what are some other? Um, I, I guess before you even go to that, have you ever read the Forty Ninth Mystic? No, by Ted Decker. No, um, super interesting. They get into like the very esoteric aspects of the the Bible and the actual yep. like the way the scripture is written. And one of them is like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it's not the word repent in Greek was. At least the word, the word that they translated into repent was metanoia, uh-huh. which means like alter your perception. The kingdom of heaven's at hand, but you don't see it. They see what they see, but they hear, but they don't hear. Yeah. Um, I didn't study theology per se, but I got really into like um, Hinduism, yeah, like yeah, the Bhagavad absolutely. Gita. Yeah. Um, I had a time one time where Narasimha appeared to me before I knew anything about Hinduism, which is terrifying. Right. <laughs> um, he's the guardian angel, like or the guardian, I don't know, like avatar. Um, it's like a lion, a snake hair. Uh huh. Deity. Yeah, yeah. Deity. Um, what? How have you seen? I guess what? What are some things you took away with the theology background, and how can you apply it to like what you do now, or how do you not? How can you? But how do? Because you, you clearly do. First and foremost, is I, I don't judge, and I, I really try to just share light and love. And I think you know we can spend we could do a whole series on just. I'm gonna invite you back on this. A lot of this uh, stuff on yeah. theology and and different ways to look at it and approach it and stuff like that. But I even think of Christ's teachings um, is love unconditionally, especially your enemies, especially the most uh, oppressed people. And I think we miss a lot of that. And what I got, when I first started studying theology at Loyola University, um, you got into Eastern, after you did the New Testament, and then you went to Old Testament, then you went to Eastern theology, learned a lot about Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. Um, Buddhism spoke to me the most, so I started getting into more Buddhist books, and that's how I actually got to meet the Dalai Lama. I was training a client, and 
She was friends with, fr best friends, or really, very close friends with the youngest brother of the Dalai Lama. And she saw that I was reading books, and I had my Loyola books on Eastern theology, and I had a Dalai Lama book there. And she's like, oh, would you like to meet his younger brother? I'm like, sure. So he's coming to dinner at our house in a few weeks. I'll invite you over. I'm like, okay. And I got to their house, and he actually came to the United States to meet or to see a friend of his, Brother Wayne Teasdale, who passed away since. But um, Brother Wayne was a Franciscan monk that was raised in a Christian Hindu ashram in India. Um, he's an orphan. A Christian Hindu ashram. Yeah. That's um, true. Father Bede Griffiths. And Brother Wayne had written a book called The Mystic Heart about bringing the commonality of, of all religions versus the divisiveness of it. And he was one of the key people that brought the um, World's Fair, the 100th anniversary of the world's religions, all back to Chicago in 1992 or 93. I was actually a waiter at that at Palmer House Hilton, this way before I met him. And then years later, I, I, I get to meet Brother Wayne and he had just been diagnosed with cancer and so T.C. Tenzik Chogyal, the, the youngest brother of the Dalai Lama's family had come to visit. And he asked me to sit between them. He's like, sit between me and Brother Wayne, you know. Um, I don't like these Catholics, they're crazy, you know. And then he'd give Buddhist jokes. Oh, watch out for the Buddhists. You won't own anything and you'll lose everything. And you just, you know. And it was Catholic Buddhist jokes all night, I mean, I peed my pants so hard, and it was just out of pure love, right? There was like, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that was just one of the most life-altering experiences for me to be there. And at the end, Tenzin Chogu goes, so would you like to come to India and meet His Holiness? I'm like, absolutely. And Brother Wayne um, said, hey, we're, we're going to be there in four or five months. Why don't you come and join us? And Valerie, who had been there, um, was her, who was hosting, was a f documentary filmmaker doing Shadows Over Tibet. And she asked me to she goes, we're going to be there to filming. So we all kind of went. And it was just one of the most amazing journeys. There's like eight of us in a room with the Dalai Lama for five hours. And it was oh, so like joke. really got to. Yeah, yeah. It was joke after joke after joke to a 10-minute dissertation of light and love and, and the vibration, right? I mean, like we all got had my hair standing up my arm, not that I have much, but we knew five minutes before he was coming in the room that he's coming. You just felt his vibration coming. And everybody's like gets giddy and boom, within a couple minutes he's there. Um zero ego, pure light and love. And, and, and that's kind of what got me into that Buddhist teachings and stuff like that. But, you know, I'd go visit my brother in California, who's a Christian. And he's like, so what are you Buddhist now? I'm like, no, I'm, I, I still pray to Jesus. And uh, that's who I was raised connected to. And to me, he's the biggest example of what I know and feel. That's who I pray to. Um, but I just have a different way of seeing him. And, and to me, it's all about love. It's pure love. I mean, we don't have to succumb to anything and everything is just learn to live out of pure love, and then things will start to reveal themselves within you. But I think a lot of Christian teachings teach out of fear. Which is so weird, because what Jesus taught was like the opposite, like you said. And, and it's all like, love your enemy, and the word they use in that, um, I'm big in word etymology, yeah. uh -huh. so like, it was agape, uh -huh. which is like, understanding and empathy. Yeah. It's like, I think a lot of people have an issue, they're like, how am I, it's like, you don't have to be friends with them, it's just saying, try to understand, and empathize, with the humanity of it. Yeah. Um, and then I think traditionally, ironically, Christians tend, at least certain Christians tend to be some of the judgiest. And it's it like, I always, I always find that humorous because you came back to like teach the Pharisees who were the judgy religious yeah. elites, <laughs> like stop being such dicks. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you, so another thing that I, I found interesting is the most enlightened souls I've met. Um, and I would put Mike Burke up there to be honest is I think he's very enlightened have the most like levity they're they're very like they're all jokes and why do you think that is 
So I would take it as when you have the sense of a deeper truth, you have more joy, right? I mean, when you, when you just let go of those fears and let go of that self-guilt and shame, and that was my first experience with the plant medicine with ayahuasca. Um, and I went to Costa Rica a few years ago for my 50th birthday. I treated myself and so much guilt, shame, and, and pain and fear from the, my childhood and my past and my 20s and my 30s. I, you know, we've all messed up and we're all going to continue to mess up. Um, but all of that was, it, it came at me and I was scared to the bejesus, you know, uh, for lack of better terms, for the first one, for the first night. And then every night it got better and it started to go away. And I just felt more and more and more joy. And then on the fourth night, I really had to surrender and really truly believed I was dying. Like I, I, I really thought I was dead, right? And I, I had was a few, fighting. I had a few ego deaths. Oh yeah. And I was and I was fighting it so hard. And I just said, finally, you know what? Take me, Lord. And I go and take me and take all the pain of the people here because there's you know 60 people in the room, crying and moaning and going through their own pain and their suffering and releasing it. And I go, give me theirs. I go, let my wife, life be worth at least that and take care of my wife and kids. They're going to be good. I'll come visit them in their dreams, but I get choked up thinking about this so much. Like, give me their pain. I'll take it. It's beautiful. And all of a sudden, when, that, when I was so authentically there, I felt a pain here. I felt a pain in my wrist like Christ did. I saw the shadow of Jesus and Mary over me, and they said, you're authentic. You're good. Shit myself <laughs> like crazy. And that was the first time I did out of the whole time I was there. And um, I shit myself one night. Ever since then, I've been more joyful. My wife and kids have said it. You've completely had a major shift from that. And I think that when you know those truths, when you know those deeper truths, you know, the universe is light. The universe is creative. The universe is loving. The Dalai Lama said the most beautiful thing to me that always sticks with me, and I love quoting this. He said, Sergio, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, Islamic, have no religion, doesn't matter. He's like, what Buddhists believe and what we think is full truth is that we are all made out of pure light and love. That's our, that's our true nature because when you're honest and you're selfless and you serve and you help people, there's a peace and a joy inside of you that you can't ever take away or deny. If you lie, you steal, you cheat, you deceive, there's a disharmony and a pain inside of you that you can never deny. He's like, you may, your brain can compartmentalize. You may be able to hide it for a while, but deep down your heart is never at peace. So our true nature is light, love, giving, kindness, joy. That stuff. That's how you start to have that more joy when you feel that. So that is, I think, a hundred. Obviously, dropping knowledge. <laughs> profound, right? Um, but something that mm -hmm. that I used to struggle with is like all these people that are doing these messed up things. Why do they get away with it? And it's like nobody gets away with anything. And it's I think oftentimes, unfortunately, people that don't express it or release it. They get psycho. I'm gonna ask like, if you see that in your work, like people with psychosomatic illnesses, because I feel like a lot of times those unexpressed things they manifest into like cancers or ulcers, or like people losing their memories and things like that. And that doesn't mean that. Anyway, it's listening. It's like I'm saying, your parents did bad things. I'm just saying that oftentimes there's an underlying cause that was just never expressed. Absolutely. So, and again, and there's even now data showing in new science and research that we have trauma up to six or seven generations that we hold and carry. So it may not even be something worse yeah. that we've repressed. It might be something that's just been there traumatically carried on, you know, through. Do you know where they did that? Because I just saw that and, and I forgot to write down this because I like to usually like quote the studies and stuff. I can send it to you. I have to look it up again. But, but I just read about that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, 
licensed therapists or trained in, in a sense of like when I'm working with clients, you know, I'm trying to give them, you know, understanding, connecting to their body as a way of, you know, if you train the body, the mind will follow. If you train the mind and body, the spirit will flourish, right? So say that again. If you train the body, the mind will follow. So when you start exercising and moving, for example, my daughter had dealt with some depression. I go, babe, just try to move for five or ten minutes. And at first she's like, I just don't want to, I just don't want to. I, go, I understand. I know it sucks, but just try. Five. And all of a sudden, on her own, weeks or months later, she started doing it. And now she's like, I want to go back. I want to do more again. So we know scientifically speaking that if you move your body more your brain becomes healthier if you work and move on your body and you work then you train your mind to be more positive to release negative thoughts to have less self-judgment to learn positive you know informate gain positive information that's growth all the things that nourish the mind your spirit will flourish because a healthy body and mind now you'll be more connected to what is your divine purpose or what makes what how are you going to bring joy to the world you know, and I think those two things are really connected. So whenever I became a personal trainer, nutritionist, I've always talked about those things. And again, I, I know how to read my audience and read who my client is to see how much are they willing to understand. So you build that rapport first. First, it's like, what do you want? I'm going to lose this because I've got a wedding coming up. Perfect. Why do you want it? You know, what would that do? Right. So I give the six levels of why you got to answer six levels of why for me to get for you to really understand a reason that's going to stick. So this will stick with you. Right versus just doing it, and then after the wedding, you're going to gain 25 pounds, and then what's that really for? I get the vanity of it, I get the purpose of wanting to look good for your kid's wedding or whatever it is, but um, or your own wedding or your bridesmaid it doesn't matter. Um, but if you can go five, six levels deep on why, you get a core reason of okay, this is enough for me to stay healthy for the long haul. And it's not about perfection. I like steak, pizza, whiskey, wine, and chocolate, brother. And right, I'm Colombian, right. and you ain't taking that from me, right? I got right. people take it off, an arm off. You try to take this stuff from me. Yeah, yeah. But how often and how much, you know? That's that's <laughs> beautiful, man. Um, so, and I'm, when we first met at Mike's house, you were telling me you studied, um, I think, longevity yeah. might have been. And there was like six or seven. What were those? So, uh, a, a really dear colleague of mine, Dr. Patricia Novick, who's to me an amazing soul, and she's 80 something years old and I, I, please edit that one out <laughs> she's gonna get mad at me because she doesn't even tell anybody her age but she her and her late husband brought martin luther king to chicago in the 60s from the south to the north um she's a psychologist and a theologian she's got a phd from university of chicago and then in clinical psychology and then um, divinity at harvard and then something else at stanford that's all but dissertation so she's just a brilliant brilliant woman um and she encouraged me when I had my gyms in Chicago she said what is what, what's I could read that something's not right I'm like I, I feel trapped in my walls I want to build something bigger I want to go to companies because I think people struggle so much at their workspace I want to bring health and happiness to workspace and she has a behavior change model that she gave me access to and she's like well, let's look at longevity in the top five diseases here's some research I've done on them why don't you take this research and go deeper with it and she gave me access to some of the big universities um, on their studies on longevity and on the top five chronic diseases and as we looked at it, you know, I'd send her stuff, her husband would help, and we found 10 micro habits, six that we actually turned into a workshop, but 10 micro habits, small little things you can do in the construct of your day without taking a bunch of time that's going to help not only fight, fight those top diseases, but also improve your chances for longevity. So yeah. what are those? Um, so it's slow, deep breath, subconscious breathing. Um, diaphragmatic breathing is probably the easiest and best one to learn for initially. What is it? A conscious or diaphragmatic breathing. Well, breathing from your diaphragm. Okay. Right? Breathing low down in your little belly. It plumps up your T cells, boosts your T cells, 
Not in the chest, but down in the belly. So let your Buddha belly out. Don't worry about the six-pack abs, brother. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. So um, hydration, the proper hydration. And they've done all kinds of studies on water and where the water comes from and how, what energy is around the water and things like that, right? Does it uh, matter what you drink the water out of? Because that's been like kind of a new thing that's being pushed. That's splitting hairs. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 for sure it does. But everything matters on some mm -hmm. level, but it's also splitting hairs and how you perceive it too, right? So they did studies with people eating, um, like type A CEOs eating salads with, you know, perfect diet, but they're always stressed. They're eating while they're working da, 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 and they don't absorb the nutrients. They get more inflammation and they have a higher risk of mortality than people who have coffee and a bagel or a croissant but they're sitting outdoors in nature with their friends in a joyous conversation. They absorb the nutrients, get rid of the waste, and don't have as much harm from and inflammation from those, from those foods. So how you perceive the food also, which is the third thing, which is called conscious eating or mindful eating. So before I teach people what to eat, I always teach how to eat. Can you eat in a grateful state? So I ask, I worked with 700 truck drivers for a few years, and, I, and it's not even the truck drivers, it's everybody I ask. How many of you eat more than half your meals in a hurry, stressed, or while you're working? And almost everybody, almost everybody raises their hands. You get nine out of 10 people, right? So when you're stressed in a hurry or, or working and you're eating, you're in a sympathetic nervous response, whether it's micro or not, your digestive system shuts off. So you now create more inflammation in the gut, create imbalances in the gut bacteria. Um, you don't absorb nutrients. You can't get rid of waste uh, well. So you now increase your risk for disease. So it's better to know how to eat mindfully and then when you start thinking about a reptilian brain that's wired for survival, is when you're slow and mindful, I told my truck drivers, you could eat your double cheeseburger and fries. Eat it super slow and mindful and see what happens. You know what they'd say? I ate half of it and wrapped it up and put the rest away for later. Or I gave, gave half to my dog. Or I only ate a few fries. I threw the fries out. Because you become mindful of like, oh, this shit's killing me. Right? Food is supposed to nourish us. It's supposed to give us energy and vitality. But now we're eating stuff that's just killing us. It's a slow suicide. So again, eat your freaking cheeseburger once in a while. I love a cheeseburger, but how often, how much, you know? And if can I do it in a state that's relaxed and in pure gratitude and appreciation? So conscious eating has three phases. Before the meal, take some deep breaths, ask your body what it really wants. And if it's still, or if it's, if it's hungry, sometimes we're thirsty, sometimes we're stressed, sometimes we're bored, and we get the trigger that represents a signal that we're hungry, we're not. So, but if you are and you're still hungry, eat nice and slow, enjoy it. Find out what you, what you want. And at the end of the meal, Ask yourself, well, first, during the meals, to eat super slow, right? To be mindful, be conscious, be in, in a state of gratitude when you're eating the food, um, especially if it's an animal, and be in full representation of grace and gratitude for that life that was sacrificed. Um, but even plants, for the people who farmed it and grew it, I mean, you, you have that full sense of appreciation. It changes the way food re responds and, re and fuels our bodies. Um, and then post-meal, do you feel bloated or do you feel normal? Do you have energy or is it, do you need an energy drink now after your meal, right? Those things, um, do you feel more mentally clear? Do you get cravings again 30 minutes or an hour later? Because what truck drivers would tell me, they'd eat a double two double cheeseburgers, two fries, and a soda, and an hour and a half later, they're craving something. So they'd go get a Snickers and an energy drink. Well, what they did is they spiked insulin, and insulin dropped really bad, really low, so that's what causes the cravings, right? And that's what my book is about. It's all about managing, mastering insulin because that's the first physiological and thing you can do. What's the name of your book again? Uh, say, goodbye to belly fat, say Goodbye to Belly Fat, Six Steps to Mastering Your Insulin and Losing Weight for Good. Right? Uh, awesome. And uh, so we're losing track, but the third is conscious eating, mindful eating. Um, the fourth micro habit is functional movement. So moving your body in all three planes of motion. 
um, moving it fluidly, moving it in flexibility, all, all kinds of things that comes into functional movement. Uh, moving continuously throughout the day versus having a sedentary job and working out for an hour, three or four times a week, that does very little for your mortality, right? Um, after that is human touch. Uh, we need touch, so I make truck drivers hug me and hug each other. At first, they're like this, and <laughs> you know, I always get one or two that don't want to do it, but I'll still tap them on the shoulder. Is this okay? We need human touch. We need hugs, man. Uh, there's cancer hospitals that were showing people doing um, hugging patients, and once they got to 10 hugs a day, the tumors not only stopped growing, some of them would shrink, you know, just from the hugs. The medicine was all the same, but they were taking patients that were hugging and patients they weren't. It's a double-blind study, so it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, so human touch is, human, is super important. Then relationships, having connections to people. And when I teach relationships and workshops, it's always relationship to self first because we have so much self-judgment. How many people do everything for everybody else and they ignore themselves or judge themselves? Or, so I always talk about relationship to self before you can nurture relationships to others, but we need at least a couple friends that we can share anything with. And that's super important. And then rest. So those are the six that I do in my workshop. So I do, I'm going to do a power nap. Well, and then, it's a proper amount of rest. So the data right now is seven to seven and a half hours is ideal for most people. Everybody's slightly different. Um, but seven and a half hours of sleep is super, super, super important. Um, and if you're not getting that, um, taking a 20 minute to 45 minute power nap is, is super helpful also. So very restorative. I'm a big fan of power naps. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a huge part of my day. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, um, what would be like three suggestions? Obviously, this country, I think it's fair to say, is not in great health. I would say physically, mentally, or spiritually, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very evidenced in the echo chambers and social media and the division. And I think it's almost a reality that we're creating versus that's actually there. Because most people can go out and if they sit at a bar, they'll talk to the guy next to him. And they'll end up becoming friends, not knowing that they would hate each other on social media. You know, <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. My suggestion is get off social media more. But like, what would be three suggestions that you would have for the people in this country? Um, I'm gonna, I want, I'll get back to that in two seconds. What I want to talk about is funny how you just mentioned that. I was appointed by um, the White House to work as the director of the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition in D.C. In 2009, I didn't stay for just more than a few months because of conflict of interest with my gym in Chicago, and I didn't know about it. But um, it was interesting to see when you go to a restaurant or bar, all the Democrats and Republicans that fight on TV hang out in bars and hang out in restaurants, and they talk, and there's way more connection there. But the way the machine works and the media works, separation gives people more power, I guess. Um, but if there are th three things that I would really recommend, I think no matter what, number one, is self-love. I think that that has to be paramount. And I don't think people talk about it or teach it enough. Um, so my next book that I'm working on are these micro habits, but it's at least a working title right now is Love Yourself to Health. Um, because if you don't have self-love, you're going to sabotage your results at some point down the line. Or you may become healthy and fit, but you're destroying your mental health. Or you may work on your mental health, but you sacrifice this. You're just not working it in a balanced way. But when you have a good level of self-love, you know how to balance it more. You work in flow. It's connection. It's just different. How would you describe self-love? Because I Danielle, Danielle, um, that's like her one of her main focuses. Yeah, is helping people self-love. Um, 
that is her main focus. So, but what would you describe? What would be your description of self love? I think first and foremost is forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is the key to happiness. So learn to forgive yourself for whatever you've done. You've messed up, and you're going to continue to mess up. Let it go, right? One of the things I noticed <laughs> is most good people hold themselves super accountable, and most yeah. people that probably could hold themselves more accountable are the ones that don't. Um, <laughs> no, there's, so, there's so much irony, and like, there's God's humor, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like it's just the way it is, right? It's hard to see, you know, say it, but. Um, so I think self-love is, is first and foremost forgiveness, um, acceptance, and and then self-care. Show yourself some care. How am I going to take care of my body this and brain, this body and mind that I've been given? Um, and yesterday was International Self-Care Day, right? So what are you doing to practice self-care as an expression of self-love? So I think those two things, if you forgive and accept yourself and then find ways to take care and nurture yourself. Let the, the universe will guide you in the right way, you know. Okay. So I think that's number one. I think number two, um, it's funny because everything stems off number one, but, you know, spend more time in nature um, is, is probably number two in, in, in ways that you can really connect to it. And, um, and I don't... Does it matter if, what kind of nature? No. I think, okay. I think different vibration of energy from forest to the ocean to mountains speak differently to different people, right? Um, there's no, all, all of them are going to lift you up in some way, shape, or form. Some people just have a deeper connection to another for whatever reason, right? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third thing is, is really um, nurture relationships, right? Really find a few people in your life that, you, that lift your, that fill your cup up and go fill their cup up. I think those three things will change everything. Um, you know, can I come from the health and wellness space? I've been in conflict with it for the last, 10, 15 years of my career saying, I want to go deeper. I need to go deeper. I need to go deeper. Why am I doing health and fitness? But I think that at least the way I teach health and fitness, it's a really good foundation to help you go do those other things. To help, it's, a, it's a form of practicing self-care. So it gives you a little bit more self-love. It's a form. I, I talk a lot about fitness and, and exercise and nutrition as a way of like being connected to nature as so the foods that you're eating and spending time in nature. Um, and I'd always talk about relationships, you know, how are you spending some of your life nurturing those relationships? Because that is so connected to wellness and longe longevity. You saw that study that was done and people were in their late nineties or mid nineties and on their deathbed, the top five things they regret. And one of them was the French. I didn't nurture my friendships and relationships enough. And I think it's more powerful than we think. Yeah, I think, I think for sure. Um, what I would imagine, so the way you teach wellness and fitness is really, truly lifestyle fitness. Yeah. I mean, look, look I'm not going to be, you know, not gonna, I'm going to honor what people's wishes are. Like if your wish is, and I've trained some pro athletes, you got to get in shape for this sport. We're going to focus on that, but I'm going to underlie it with this because the way my career ended, I worked with a lot of athletes towards the end of their career. Or I've had, you know, clients that want to get in shape for a wedding, which is fantastic, you know. But, you know, again, I, my, I always tell them, I go, my goal is that this is a lifestyle that you don't need me six months from now. Right. You know, that you can do this on your own. Now, some people just love my company or they wanted to keep paying me and they stay with me for years and years and years. They just like that accountability that they can afford it. It's not a problem. Um, but my goal is that they don't need me, you know, and they can do this on their own. And that's always my goal. I imagine this has clearly been your lifestyle for a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, for the last twenty six years. I imagine. Half my life now, fifty two. Look at that. 
I imagine when a lot of these people start incorporating these things, that their relationships change. I'm assuming most of them for the better, but then obviously they're going to lose some because I'd like, do you ever have, I mean, you study psychology. Do you ever have people come to you with like those kind of questions? Then after like, Hey, I'm noticing such and such with my friendships. Oh, I, I, I personally have had it myself. I mean, there's just certain times as you evolve and you probably know this really well, as you evolve spiritually and evolve in certain areas of your life, some people are going to fall by the wayside. They don't, you know, that's the universe. God telling you that, it's okay. You you have a path that, and they may come back at some point in some time, but right now in this season, they're not serving you well. So absolutely. I mean, you can't be afraid to lose friends. If you're growing, you're going to lose some people in your life that are sometimes are super, super close. And that's what makes it hard for so many people. We're so attached. Um, and that's what I love about Buddhism is you detach from that outcome and you connect into the vibration, the energy of love. So you move forward in it. And, you know, if you're finding people that are driving you and filling your cup in a different way, but that's, there's a whisper that we have. If we listen to that whisper more, you, you go in the right direction. So yeah, absolutely. You definitely can lose some friends and, and colleagues when you evolve and it's just part of life. So it's something I, I prided myself on for so long is I didn't lose friends and stuff like that. And this year, my goal for like, I give myself like a goal for the year. This year was <laughs> To elevated. lose all your friends? No, no, <laughs> definitely not. But I have lost more friends this year than I've ever lost in a year. Right. Um, but it was to elevate. Yeah. So I gave up booze for the year. Anything that would, and I'm, and I'm a drinker, um, anything that technically, not technically, would literally would pull me down. And then I'm, I'm huge on plant medicines, plant ceremonies. And I got signs um, for different friends. And it was just like, and it was so obvious. I just didn't want to see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, I call those breadcrumbs, um, like the whispers, God nods, like yeah. whatever you want to call them. Um, do you teach like with like synchronicities or for how people to follow their signs? Because what I've noticed myself personally, I, I'm asking if you notice too, the more healthy I am means the more coherent I am and therefore I get more synchronicities. Let me know I'm on the right path. Do you, is that like a consistent thing you see? Like people are like, hey, I'm starting to get all these, you know, Yeah, you, you, you definitely become more in tune. Some people are open to that stuff. Depends. And it, I mean, health and fitness and, and wellness is a foundation for that. Allows that to open up, but not for everybody, right? I mean, people just have so many other blocks depending on where they're raised, how they were raised. Um, what their traumas come from. Um, but without a doubt, you have a much better chance, the healthier you are, that you are more aware of that intuition, right? I mean, that guidance that's going to lift you up where you, where you really, where your spirit needs to go, right? And so many people are afraid of that stuff. And I, I, I just try to meet people where they're at and let's get you one step closer, right? Because same as a truck driver who eats two double cheeseburgers, two fries. I'm not going to have him just drink green juice all day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't go from here to here in one step. you got to have them have micro experiences, which is why my micro habits thing was powerful and really helped these truck drivers. I go, just walk in nature for four minutes. I go, they're like, I don't have time to exercise. I'm like, you have four minutes because I know how long it takes to pump to fill up the gas tank in your truck. Right. So go pee and take a four minute walk. Right. And the second time you fill it up, go pee and poop or whatever you got to do and, you know, and do four minutes of stretching. And just see what you notice. And all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. I go, cool, now eat mindfully. And all of a sudden, instead of eating two double cheeseburgers, two fries, and a, and a drink, they go, you know what I tried, Serge? I had a couple of apples and a thing of peanut butter. And uh, and I drank a, a different drink instead of my my energy pop, right? And I'm like, I have so much more energy. that I couldn't. I'm like, yeah, because food's supposed to give you energy. 
But if I sit there and write a diet for you, never eat a cheeseburger again, they're going to rebel. So it's intuitively it came from within them. I didn't tell them what to do. I gave them options and ideas to think about and try. I go, go explore and see what works for you, you know. And uh, yeah, they felt happier. Their relationships. I mean, the amount of drivers that their spouses, they would say next on our next coaching call, can my wife call? Can she call? And I'm like, absolutely. Their sex life changed. Their, I mean, the joy that they had because you know, these truck drivers sacrifice so much. They'd be on the road for three and a half, four weeks, sometimes six weeks, go home for a day and a half to two days, and then be on the road again for another three and a half to six weeks, depending on their job. And that's got to be a rough life, man. I mean, it's, that's going to be the hardest to be healthy. Yeah. Like, it's so hard to get in that routine. But when you, when you learn the routine, you don't have a lot of distractions. You have the routine. So, I mean, I, I, I have some truck drivers that, I mean, lost 150, 250 pounds, and I still stay in touch with them, and it's been five, six years, and they're still... Super healthy. They message me on Facebook uh, Messenger and stuff, and uh, their life has been changed, man. A couple of them, I mean, we had at least 25, 30 drivers get off all their medications and stuff. So That's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's, um, that's God's work. <laughs> so that's Absolutely, 1,000%. How, how have you brought this into your personal relationships, like um, with your daughter or your wife or your son? Yeah, um, you know, like we talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, we're very open, my wife and I. Um, with each other, um, communication's always been our thing. We've we've had a marriage that's had its challenges. All marriages do, but we always go back to communication and where our hearts at. Our hearts on love. So, can we work together? Can we heal together? And if some point our hearts say we're gonna loving each other means to separate, then that's what it means. But it, it doesn't for us. It means look, let's find a way to keep working together. And and we have an amazingly phenomenal relationship. It's pretty. <laughs> we're very very blessed. Um, and we've had that with our kids. We've talked to our kids from such a young age about deep issues and stuff. And um, we just always say, if it comes from the heart and it's meant to give love, share love and lift them up in some way, it's not easy. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard stuff we got to tell them about. Um, but that's what we, that's how we decide on what we're going to share and not share. It's, it's where it comes from. Okay. And um, did that answer your question on you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You basically, you bring this approach with really just openness um to your relationships and then your relationships flourish with that yeah some do and again some don't some like eh, this is not I, I don't agree with all your things you do and say and um i'm gonna spend less time with you sergio i'm like okay i get you and that's no harm no harm at all no and no i don't take it personally at all i get it you know i mean there's people that have different faiths than i do and i think every i think every individual truly has a slightly different faith <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. every single one because it's a personal relationship different. to the divine right different interpretations and, and stuff like that. Um, I guess you can't really answer for rain, but like the best you could, how have you seen it? Have you seen like a, a difference? I would imagine like your kids are more equipped to deal with the real world and stuff like that than other children. Um, you can give me a nod, a no. Uh, so, yeah. so, I'll say this. I think that um, with their wisdom and, and, the, and the conversations that we've had, again, some of it comes from their own. They've taught us as much as we've taught them. I mean, our kids have definitely um, unique spirits and souls. And um, it's brought as much challenges, right? So I think both of our kids have struggled with friendships in many ways because other kids are just less mature right. their age, right? So they both have had a lot of challenges with friendships, Um and they've been different. My Rain has had antagonizing relationships. Gabe has just had not a lot of relationships. And people annoy the heck out of him easily. <laughs> He's just annoyed by most people. Um, 
but they're both super resilient um, and they're both wiser, deeper, and very introspective. And they both care about how they affect other people. Neither of my kids are, ne- are mean kids in any way, right? They just don't, like my son, you know, boys like to make fun of each other, pick on each other. It's just boyhood. I mean, my f- best friends that I've known since we were 12, 13 years old together, one of them since we were 20, but like four of us, five of us get together and we still make fun of each other. It's right. just fun, laughter, jokey stuff. And we pick on each other. Um, and that's kind of the way I grew up. My son doesn't want any part of that energy. He doesn't want anybody to ever feel bad. Because he's been made fun of at times and it just, he know how, even if it's a joke, he just doesn't play that game. So he doesn't have that many close friends, but he, but he has a, a, a kindness to his soul and a politeness to his soul. And every parent, every teacher, every coach that both of my kids have had, have been blown away by their wisdom, their knowledge, their, their, their maturity, their ability to converse, have conversations since Rain was four or five years old. Had like her parents, parents are, she'd stay at her friend's house. My parents are like, what do you tell this girl? I mean, holy camoli. And to this day, I mean, your daughter's this, your daughter's that. Oh my gosh, your daughter's amazing. She's what a gift. What makes she so wise? She's an old soul, all that stuff. And we get thousands of those conversations and comments with friends and people she's run into. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean that's that's a beautiful thing. But it comes with challenges. <laughs> it comes with its own challenges. But every, every opportunity has, you know, its obstacles and every obstacle has its opportunities. Exactly. Um because that Danielle and I talk about that all the time. We want to raise our kids that way and just be super open and transparent. Um, at the same time, obviously not everything is okay. Right. And stuff like that. Like, <laughs> which I, I don't, I'm sure you're not like that because um, sometimes you see like the hippie parents and stuff like that, where it's like, <laughs> you know, rain seems very mature, like, you know, respectful. You see some kids where it's just like, Oh, they've just never been told no in their life. Right. Um, and that's not good either. So what would, what would you say, um, essentially being like, what would be your mission statement, um, for now? Like, how is your mission state, has your mission statement evolved as you've grown and become a father? Is it still kind of the same? Um, and do you think it'll change again? I, I guess that's like a three part question. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, um. I've always known that my personal mission statement is to help people become a little healthier, a little happier. I think it's gone deeper. I think it's more than just health and happiness. I think it's, you know, connecting to a higher purpose, connecting to, to forgiveness and a deeper, because it means more to me now than it meant when I was 26. So um, while my mission statement is the same, it's also changed what it means to me and how I um, express it, deliver it and things like that. Um, and as a parent, I, I, I still had that that didn't change. I think what changed was, you know, some of my whys of why I do certain things, of some how to, how am I going to find ways to balance my love for the world? Because I, you know, my wife always made fun of me that I love everyone, <laughs> and and I do. I just I'm a hugger, and I, I I just love people, and and I tried really hard to learn how to love my enemies. And I, it's, it's a work in progress. It's a forever progress uh, process. Um, but, you know, when you're married, you got to change that. Like, I, yes, I love everyone, but I got to make sure I'm making sure that she's being, fit, you know, filled with her needs. And the same with kids, right? So it's just kind of, you know. And what, what is your mission statement again? I'm sorry. Help people become healthier and happier. Just awesome. a, a deeper, richer, 
level alive, right? What does it mean to be alive? To to be able to experience life, to not be so caught up in your thoughts, especially because our brain is wired for negative thoughts. You know, I don't forget the ratio, but it's like ten thousand to one or a thousand to one ratio of negative thoughts to power to positive thoughts. So you got to consciously think positive thoughts because we're wired for survival and fear kept us alive millions of years ago. But um, if I can help people feel more alive, you know, like life is beautiful. The, the universe is creative. It's light. It's energy. Our lack of consciousness and lack of aliveness and lack of awareness has caused all the trauma, pain, darkness and stuff that goes on. But the more I can help people shine their light, feel alive, um, be healthier, be happier, I think we start to transform the world one day, one person at a time. Yeah, the ripple effect. Yeah. Right, like, um, what are some of your hobbies you're doing like, when you're not doing this? Um, I love snowboarding. Okay. <laughs> I love walking in a forest, and I love touching the tree, talking to the tree, hugging the tree. And my wife and kids always have to look back because they're always walking ahead of me. I got like, like oh, a true goes, tree hugger. There goes Poppy again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's hugging the tree, you're talking to the tree. Um, but I just, we, we all love nature a ton. Um, I do love spending, and I love that we moved to Georgia and I'm like, man, these trees are just gorgeous. The energy of it is beautiful. Um, I love reading. Um, I love drawing and painting. I haven't painted as much in many years now. You said um, you were doing, you, yeah, we started off with you were doing art for bands. Yeah. So I used to do art for bands. I've been an artist since I was, I think my, my first oil painting, I was 11 years old. Um, and I did some sneakers for my kids. I hand painted some pretty cool sneakers for the kids a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I've been drawing and sketching a little bit more, but I just I need to get back to my painting. So that's probably one of my biggest hobbies that I love and miss the most. And then we're diehard live music fans. I mean, I love live music. I've probably been to three to five hundred concerts in my life at least. Um, Do you play? <laughs> no, I wish. I my brothers both play. One plays bass, one plays lead or rhythm and lead, whatever. And uh, and I was just the art, the, the drawer, the painter. And I, I always wish I had the patience to learn an instrument. And uh, I, I think I still will one day learn. I want to play a flute. Uh, okay. Yeah. Danielle's got uh, Native American flutes that's, down there. That's what I want. I mean, so when I did the plant medicine in, in Costa Rica the first time, um, the musicians, there were, I mean, the people playing drums or guitarists, and it was just the most amazing things. But those ancient uh, indigenous flutes and what came out of that was just, to me, the most moving and powerful stuff. And way before the plant medicine, um, as I started learning meditation in my mid-20s and going pretty deep into it, um, and Brother Wayne was one of the people that kind of was men mentored me for years before he passed, um, flute music just for meditation was always the one that kind of took me deeper, faster. So there's something there for me. I don't know what it is, but I want to explore it. That's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, does your wife play any music or anything like that? She played piano as a child. Um, she we just got a new keyboard for her again so she, she's she knows she has a foundation of it she just hasn't practiced lately so we'll get her on that too man <laughs> and then do you ever do like poetry or anything like that you doing the rap before we get started rap, I, yeah. I do spoken word myself Corey Corey does as well yeah um do you do any like anything like that i don't practice it i have it in me i did i did poetry a lot as a kid um and even in high school i wrote poetry um but i haven't really like evolved in that space um spoken word i think to me is has always been an art that I, i've always been fascinated by and love a ton um and i i i create spoken word in my head i never write it down which okay. is very weird do you have an, you have an iphone right i do i should start start putting them in the notes yeah yep. yeah <laughs> Dude, I, I love it yeah i love like the little creative processes and actually my last journey i wrote one i tend to write them down especially on like ceremonies and stuff like that I'd, oh yeah 
it's such an outlet for me. Um, and then like, what are, what are some ways? So obviously you write books. Um, I've written a book. I'm on my second. So. All right. So process, <laughs> yeah. process. Um, you read artwork, psychology, theology. Um, obviously the theme of this is just constant evolution and taking care of the basics. And as that grows, what have you had, have you found anything that's like most fulfilling for you? Um, I speak and teach, right? So I go to companies and, and go talk to their employees and, and that really fulfills me a lot because you can tell people are just lost in this world, man. They are struggling, they're in pain. Yeah. And I was working at a company in Boston and these people fly helicopters to save lives or they transport organs. They go to the worst accidents in the world and good people. They, they um, and I do it. I train a thing called conscious leadership and there's eight principles in it. And the first four are internal work, the second four are external work to become a really good leader. And you don't have to lead anybody. You can start leading yourself. Right. And then you'll, if you have a parent or, or if you have a child or somebody you lead, you'll lead some at some point someday in life. But, um, self-care is one of them. And we did a survey at the end of that. And that's the one that all felt like they were lacking the most. And I think it's because they're such high skilled people that and doing such high pressured work that they get lost in what life is really, really, really about. Now they're doing such powerful, important work that I think has so much meaning there, but they, a lot of them came up to me afterwards and they're sacrificing so many other areas, their personal relationships, their nutrition, their exercise, everything else to sacrifice for this thing. And I think that, um, and it's the most fleeting yeah. business is fleeting. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's a huge portion of your time, but it's also fleeting. Like yeah. You're not taking it. Some people can give their stuff to their kids, but like most people can't. Right. And th that's always interesting to me. I mean, and I'm somebody that works hard and a lot of time into it, but we uh, we call my office like the dojo. Um, <laughs> it's where you better mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yeah. So we always ask people like, hey, make sure you spend time with you know, your family, stuff like that. Do you see a movement um, like that into into um, like the new workplace or anything like that? I think so, man. I think the COVID really helped people uh, wake up to a lot of things. I remember when COVID first came and everybody's going into lockdown, right? Um, I told my wife, I go, this is a blessing. You know, I didn't know I was going to lose my job and my businesses, um, but I still felt it was a blessing um, because I think the world needed to slow down what were your jobs and businesses? Um, I had a couple of gyms in Chicago, and I had a big contract consulting uh, for these for the trucking company building a wellness program for the truck drivers. But they did mostly meat, um, so the factories went down to a twenty percent operation, and they had three hundred and fifty trucks just sitting there that they had to make payments on. So the trucking was so slow. Yeah, for a while. So, um, but the blessing was I got to spend these last critical years with my kids working from home, and I spent more time with them, which has been phenomenal for me. Um, I think the world kind of got to see shift on what's important. I think it's kind of fallen, some of that, that joy and high kind of fallen away in some ways and the polarization stuff. But I think there's a lot of people that still had an awakening from that that wouldn't have otherwise. Definitely. And I think, yeah, there's definitely a, a consciousness rising in this world. And I think it's beautiful to see that people are letting go of fear, judgment, I think even in, in traditional religions, people are becoming more accepting of other religions and um, 
accepting the fact that maybe we don't know all the truths, but we know that love is the way, right? And I think that's where people need to just, let's start there. We don't know all the truths, you right. know what I mean? And, uh, you know, people say that's one book has every all you need to know. But if you understand the history of that book and why were so many parts of that book taken away, why are there so many different translations of it? And not that that book isn't spiritual and powerful and divine. I think it is. But there's it's not everything. There's a lot of stuff that's missing from there that, um, that are a lot of gifts for us as well. You know what I mean? So what, um, so you were really drawn with like the religions, the different religions of the world into Buddhism. Um, I have like a really rudimentary understanding of it. What it like, so if you were to describe Buddhism to me simply, how would you, can you do like, give me like a basic. Yeah. I mean, they, they have, um, it's an eightfold path and four noble truths. And one of the main noble truths is that life is suffering, right? Um, and I've heard that that's not exactly, it's like not suffering or it is? It is suffering. Okay. There's, the suffering is part of life. But again, it's it's hard to explain it in, in a short time like this. But um, part of it is that life is continually changing. Nothing stays still. Um, but the Buddhism, to me, it's about how do we end suffering? And what are the practices that, in a way that I can really, because we, we suffer when we're so attached to things, right? So I'm attached to my car and I get a dent in it and all of a sudden I'm stressed and my blood pressure goes way up. Well, it's a freaking car. Relax, brother. You can get a dent fixed. No big deal. Is the body okay? <laughs> the person that was in the accident? You know, things like that. So Buddhism is really about um, ending suffering, really. It's kind of what are the practices in my own, we know that human life and human existence is suffering and there's different theologies within Buddhism, right? Some that believe that, you know, in reincarnation, that you you are reincarnated over and over and over and over until you learn to reach nirvana, which means you have no suffering within your own being. Some think you get reincarnated over and over until all beings end suffering, right? So um, it, those are all details that don't matter to me. I mean, I, I think all those details mean little to me. What, me, what means the most to me is how do we shine our light? How do we become more loving? That's why I love Jesus and I pray to Jesus because, man, if you can be tortured like this guy and go through the suffering he went through and he just says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. I love them. I love them. It's okay. That's freaking, that's the most powerful thing on the planet. You know, I mean, like I think of Putin and my human side of me says, well, somebody just whacked this guy. But my spiritual side says, no, no, no. How do we shine love on this guy so much where he says, all right, I'm awakened to what I'm doing is not the right thing. You know what I mean? That's, that's, yeah. that's the ultimate what we need to get to somehow, some way, sometime, someday. But, you know, if I can live that and if I can help other people try to find that within them, then I think I'm doing all I can. You know? So nirvana is a release of suffering or like a detachment? Reaching heaven. It's, 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 it's like reach, heaven. It's, it's that vibration. I mean, again, it's all semantics and, and ways you look at it and see it and stuff like that. But in essence, it's, yeah, getting to a point where there is no suffering. And first you start with yourself, right? And then, so... But when there's no suffering, you cease to exist, according to Buddhism, right? Okay. You become part of the cosmos. You know, oh, right. I, okay, that makes <laughs> sense since is that life is suffering. Your human body stops, stops existing. Your individual self ceases to exist now you become just part of the cosmos and then <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i would say the point of christianity or um 
are the point, in my opinion, of like Judaism, Christianity. Like the way I look at it is the book starts, God creates everything with a sound. Then we get kicked out of heaven, and the whole point is to get back to heaven. And the whole when Jesus comes back, he keeps preaching the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Is within. Is within. It's within. He said that too. Yeah, yeah, the people gospel forget, of Thomas. People, some, yeah. people keep forgetting that, you know. <laughs> and he also says in Matthew chapter 10, you can do what I can do and more. Um, and I think the fact that I feel like modern times people have basically given up and just waiting for somebody else to create heaven. And I feel like our whole purpose is to get the closest to heaven we can here or at least create a landing strip, right? Like if if a plane leaves, it's got to have a place to land, right? Like <laughs> there's got to be a heaven for God to come back to, right? Like, right? Um, what, what would you say are some other like interesting – like, did you study Hinduism at all? Not deeply into it. I mean, we we definitely studied all Eastern religions, you know, but we only spent maybe one semester on Hinduism or we spent two or three in Buddhism and then I went deeper on my own. I'd go to Buddhist monasteries in India. Um, is the Tibetan Book of the Dead, is that Buddhist or what is that? Tibetan Book of the Dead, I believe it is, but I don't, I've never read it, so I'm okay. not sure. It's interesting. It's like when you die, you go to these different bardos, right? And there's a Tibetan, I don't know, proper term we'll say monk um or anointed leader and he reads these these prayers so to speak like mm -hmm. over your dead body and you're there for like 28 days possibly up to 28 days to like chance to reincarnation and each one basically you're shown like what looks like a nice pleasant path or like a or a really scary one and if you take the nice pleasant one you go deeper and if you take the scary one you get out and it's it's this um really like beautiful book though and then there's like these different realms, like the realm of the jealous gods. And depending on when you exit, depends on like your reincarnation. So you might, because of whatever, you might reincarnate as an animal. You might reincarnate as like a certain thing. Does Buddhism um, believe in reincarnation? Or, or Oh yeah, 1,000. I mean, Buddhism's all reincarnation. I mean, okay. Um, as I just mentioned, some of you, some of them, some believe that you're reincarnated individually until you cease to exist and you reincarnate until everybody reaches nirvana, you know, which I'm more of that belief right like i don't believe in eternal lake of fire i believe that um there are there is darkness and dark energy even beyond the physical realm and some, some form of a spiritual realm but i think it's I remember reading um in a philosophy book that the difference between reality and existence is reality has always been and always will be everything else comes into existence and ceases to exist so to me if i believe in omnipotent omnipresent creative light forcing energy which some call god which universe whatever it is if I believe in that, and as you mentioned, you come, we separated now to come back to that. I don't believe there's eternal suffering. I think Charles Manson's soul at some day will be redeemed. There's no way I'm going to sit there and ride a fucking swing in heaven and eat and and you know whatever you skip in heaven and sing and angels playing at harps while there's anybody suffering. Right. I'm going to go love that thing. It kill me and over. I, I know I'm eternal. So why does it matter? I'm going to go and love that thing as dark as it is. Over and over, when I had in my ayahuasca journey, I had a demon come straight at me, and I was terrified. And I just remembered, no, my intention is to be 100% love. I go, I just love you. I love you. I love you. And it tried to scare me, and all of a sudden, it just started crying. And then I just, in my mind, hugged it, and it dissipated. And then a serpent came to scare me more. And I'm like, oh, shit. It went into my gut, and I'm watching it go into my belly, and I have a fear of choking because I have a deformed esophagus and I black out. It stops my heart. All kinds of weirdness goes on. I've had it since I was a kid. 
and all of a sudden the serpent's coming out of my mouth, you know, again, it's ayahuasca. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. But what I, the message it gave me is, as the serpent's heart was going over my heart, I realized the serpent's love, because everything is love, it's the opportunity for us to change our perspective from fear to love. That's what the serpent's message is. Okay, that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Um, it, I mean, it's probably a great note to end it on. To be honest, it's just like <laughs> yeah, great. we didn't talk health and fitness the way I talked, but this is this is better and more important. So I'm beyond grateful, man. This is these are the important conversations I think we need to have. I think it's health and fitness is super important. I think we need to really focus on eating more whole natural foods. We need to be more conscious and mindful and slower when we eat. We need to move our bodies more frequently. Starting small micro habits, which we could talk about in another episode. But uh, you know, love yourself. Take care of your body and mind, and your spirit will flourish. Absolutely. Let's, I mean, might as well go into the micro habits now. And sorry about that. I just get sidetracked on no, this so stuff. Do I, this, is like, <laughs> this is the stuff that that I love. Is I love these, like these theological talks. Yeah. Um, so, just real quick, I guess, but before we end. Um, what are micro habits that they can go into, but also how can someone find you and contact you? Yeah. So on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, uh, Facebook or Instagram, I'm Vitality by Sergio, which is my old brand, but I've just kept it that way. Um, if you go to aliveconsulting.net is my uh, corporate website where I do coachings and trainings um, or heal.me. Um, my handle on that's called is alive one coaching at heal.me. Um, but just, yeah, reach out, send a message, say hello, send some love, send some love back. Um, those are probably the three best ways to get a hold of me. Uh, and then what are some micro habits people can use? Yeah, to me, it's, you know, spend two to four minutes in the morning and at night doing slow belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. Um, drink a lot more water and less processed stuff. Um, eat slower, more mindfully. Do, do a sense of gratitude, prayer, whatever it is before your meal and eat slow and appreciate it. Be mindful of how it affects you. Does it take your energy away and you? Um, move functionally throughout the day, just a couple stretches, do some squats and some planks, you know, just move your body, um, hug the hell out of your family, friends, and your pets, um, nurture your relationships and make sure you get good amount of rest, man. It's important. Those are the six. Now, if you want to know the other four, you got to buy the book. <laughs> I guess uh -huh. We'll talk about it in the next episode, but those Perfect. are the, you know. Perfect. And yeah. then guys, Sergio Rojas, um, owner of Alive Consulting and Coaching, author, and he's got a second book coming out as well. Um, very interesting individual and if you're looking to contact him please please do and it looks like he can help you in literally all aspects um, and thanks again guys for you know tuning in and hopefully learning something you know we're hoping to be a bridge here yeah so, man. You're, you're you're shining a light and setting, putting out a lot of love and light into people so thank you blessings to you man and you much, too. Gra much gratitude man you thank too you. thank you and thank you to rain and thank you to Corey. yeah man um and jacob but we know you're not here but we'll send you that stuff that is so thank you to jacob and everybody else um free game productions free the concept is unrestricted broken out and then game eager like excited to go and do something love um, it so we're just hoping to be a bridge and help people shine that light so yes, thank sir. you